What would you do if someone burst into your living room and forced you out? What if that person later abandoned their own home? Would you take it in place of your lost house? What do these questions have to do with the federal prison on Alcatraz Island in the San Francisco Bay? Find out on today's episode of Footnoting History. Hello, this is Leslie Skousen, and welcome to the May 18th episode of Footnoting History, because the best story is always in the footnotes. This morning, we will talk about the occupation of Alcatraz Island off of the Bay of San Francisco. Alcatraz is perhaps best known as a terrible prison. It's famous for capturing those dangerous criminals at the federal level, major thieves, bank robbers, rapists, murderers, even mobsters like Al Capone. It's just a simple dusty rock surrounded by harsh seas, sub-freezing temperatures, and harsh winds and no natural protection. For this prison, it's a symbol of federal power and the consequences of breaking the law. In 1962, four prisoners attempted to escape. Frank Morris, Alice West, and two brothers managed to create digging tools out of a spoon and the melted silver from dimes in order to dig through water-damaged concrete in their cells. They made their way out of the prison and dove into the icy waters. What happens next is up to debate. A lot of guards insist that they must have drowned. The waves are unforgiving. The two-mile swim to the shore is impossible when your body is fighting hypothermia. And yet, prisoners insist that they know the prisoners made it, that they were picked up by a boat, and that they made it safely to live out their lives in South America. The daring escape has been the subject of movies and novels, fairly good movies at that, but we don't actually know what happened. A year later, Alcatraz was closed down, and its prisoners moved elsewhere, just in case. So Alcatraz stands for imprisonment and restriction, but it also symbolizes freedom. The value of living a free life for those who were captured within its walls, plus the, the idea of seeking freedom through this daring escape and a series of other famous well-known escapes associated with Alcatraz Island. There are a couple other ways that we could associate Alcatraz. From November 9, 1969 to June 11, 1971, Alcatraz also stood for the freedom of Native Americans. On November 9th, five men from a variety of tribes, including the Cherokee, Eskimo, Ho-Chunk, and Mohawk, got onto a boat tour of the San Francisco Bay. As the boat passed Alcatraz, these five men jumped off and swam the icy waters to the island. There they claimed the land for the group Indians of all tribes. They decided that this land was theirs by right of discovery. In fact, they claimed the land by drawing parallels to the treaty that had purchased the Manhattan Island centuries before. On November 20th, just 11 days later, 80 more Native Americans set sail to the island and began to set up camp. Among them were activists and students, even entire families of small children. It was an entirely symbolic way to mock the original European claims on North American land. They used the same terminology as past treaties, and they even offered the United States government the same amount of money per acre, 47 cents. The federal government had declared the closed prison and the island as, quote, surplus federal property. That status gave Amerindians an in for retaking the land for themselves. Media coverage grew. It was especially drawn to the jubilant atmosphere, the celebrations, the songs, the chants, the sense of closeness among Native Americans who otherwise had nothing to hold them together. This brought attention to the plight of Native Americans who were living without promised services on land that grew very little. 
Reservation land was, in theory, supposed to allow Native Americans to provide for themselves by growing local farm goods and giving them a place to live. The recent growth of western cities had led to resources being drawn away from that land. Water, in particular, was rerouted to service cities like Las Vegas. As a result, reservation land was often dusty and almost inhospitable. The media coverage brought attention to this kind of plight. The lives were very hard for reservation dwellers, but their choice was either to leave the reservation and seek their fortunes in a city and find education there, or to stay in the reservation and live with that culture. Having to choose between your ancestral culture and being able to feed yourself and your family was a rather stark choice. So occupying Alcatraz was a way to bring national attention to these and other similar issues. By Thanksgiving, just a couple weeks later, in 1969, hundreds more arrived to camp. It created this sort of anti-celebration to the fake Thanksgiving story of American Indians and pilgrims sharing food equitably. At this point, Joseph Morris of the Blackfoot tribe rented a few storage units on the bay. This facilitated donations of food and water. You see, Alcatraz, as I mentioned, is a rock. It's dusty. It has very little resources. If you try to dig a well on Alcatraz, all you will find is salt water, because there is no natural fresh water associated with this island. Everything that you take out there has to be shipped back, so trash had to be shipped back to the city for proper disposal, and if they needed water or any supplies at all, it had to come from a donation. Therefore, Morris's donation storage unit basically facilitated the entire demonstration. The atmosphere was celebratory. Various tribes shared their traditions, their rituals, and their songs. It was jubilant, and it led to writing defiant graffiti that still exists on the island today. However, this jubilant atmosphere fell to a more grievous, subdued nature on January 3, 1970, when tragedy struck the group. A 13-year-old girl who was playing on one of the abandoned prison buildings fell to her death. Following the accident, a lot of the families, especially those with small children, decided that the demonstration had served its purpose, and it was time to go home. Some of them did not go home, but many left the island. Instead, they went all over the country and began occupying other areas that had been abandoned by the federal government or even began to occupy federal buildings. In May 1970, the federal government decided to cut all power to the island. One would expect everyone would then leave the island without access to electricity. However, this just made everyone's will stronger. Those that remained on the island decided to stay, to brave the warmth and cold, the extreme weather conditions, and to stay camping, held together by their unity. A year passed, and media coverage remained constant, although it sort of surged with waves of interest. The federal government began to worry about prolonged occupation. What would this mean? So as a result, on July 8, 1970, President Nixon decried the old policy of Native American termination. This was the policy of trying to isolate and exterminate all references to Native American culture. His vice president, Spiro Agnew, began to lobby for increased Native American rights. However, in June 1971, the old prison buildings caught fire. No one knows the cause of this fire, but it's believed to be accidental. Their charred remains still stand today. The smoke was intense and more occupiers left the island in the aftermath of this fire. June 11, 1970, a large force of government officers removed the final 14 occupying Indians from the island. They had held the island for 18 months. This 18-month period held a long-lasting legacy that we're still enjoying today. 
They chose that island because before Alcatraz was a federal prison, it had acted as a holding center for resistant Hopi and Modoc activists who had tried to stop the federal government from taking their children to a federal school for assimilation. There was a program that would take all children around the ages of five or six, and they would take them by force and put them in a boarding school where they were not allowed to speak their local languages, practice their local customs. Instead, they had to learn English, and they had to become good, upstanding Americans. I'm sure you can imagine the grief of any family that had to lose a five- or six-year-old child to this program. Those that had tried to resist it had been imprisoned on Alcatraz, so it's almost poetic justice that an occupation of Alcatraz led to the termination of that program. This event also brought together Native Americans from 554 separate tribes scattered across North America. And as a consequence of this occupation, there were 10 policy shifts. For example, Congress wrote and passed the 1975 Indian Self-Determination and Education Assistance Act. This promised autonomy for tribes to preserve their culture and seek self-definition. It also provided education on the reservation itself so that tribes would not have to choose between their culture and future opportunities. For another example, the Johnson O'Malley Education Act introduced schools in the area, adding to the already existing Self-Determination and Education Assistance Act. The Indian Financing Act and the Indian Health Care Act provided for loan opportunities to build new businesses and better opportunities for those living on the reservations while affording better access to health care. Nixon then created a secretary post for Indian Affairs. There was a return of lands according to unfulfilled treaties, treaties that were over a hundred years old that had promised land to Native Americans but had never actually fulfilled those promises. We're still waiting for the end of the practice of taking water, timber, and other resources from Indian reservations, but we're hopeful that this will happen in the 21st century. The occupation of Alcatraz launched an unparalleled wave of modern-day American Indian activism by unifying descendants of many tribes under a single place for a single cause. The National Park took ownership of Alcatraz Island in 1972 after the end of the occupation. Since then, the Park Service has preserved the legacy of the famous federal prison, but they have curiously also emphasized this historic moment when Native Americans came together and occupied the island. The story of occupation is now told alongside that of, of the famous escape by Frank Morris, Alan West, and the Anglin brothers. Will the government follow the Park Service in supporting the goals of, our, of this occupation? Only time will tell. This has been Footnoting History. If you liked our podcast, be sure to check us out on the web at footnotinghistory.com, like us on our Facebook page, and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Join us next week when we'll be talking about lepers and leprosy in the 13th century. Until then, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes. See you next week!